0: Take your Bibles this morning and open up to Luke's gospel chapter 15 and I want to continue in our myth series and you notice on your outline the title of this message is is pain pointless and the reason I phrase that is because um, all of us have pain in life but there are some people that use that as a motivation not to follow God. In other words, they say something like this, or in some form or fashion, well, if there's pain, if pain exists, God must not exist, because if God is who you say is a loving God, then He would remove pain, and He wouldn't let pain exist. But I hope today to clarify some of that, if you've ever had that thought, or if you know someone who has that thought, or if you're going through some kind of pain uh, right now, I hope this message will be an encouragement uh, to you, and we certainly need to understand this whole matter of pain. I like the story I heard of a little boy, and he came home and he hadn't eaten lunch. And he walked into the house and he said to his mother, My stomach aches. And his mother said, Well, that's because it's empty. And five minutes later, his father walked in and said, My head aches. And the little boy said, Mom says that's because it's empty. Well, sometimes we're like that little boy, aren't we? We just don't understand pain. But we live in a pain-filled world, and the media shows us a lot of pain and suffering that goes on. Like the recent collapse of the condo building in Florida, we saw the, the pain, and I can't imagine some of the grief that some of those people are going through, and they're still waiting for information. The media shows us things that go on all over the world. Advertisers remind us, Of all the pain relieving products that are available, uh, have you noticed how much in the last uh, five years when you watch a television program, the commercials are all about medications, aren't they? Uh, when I was growing up, you had a- aspirin. If something hurt, your mom said, take an aspirin or here's an aspirin or that sort of thing. Or, but we've gone from, from aspirin to Tylenol, to, from Tylenol to ibuprofen, from ibuprofen to Motrin, and from Motrin to naproxen, and they're still creating newer and better remedies. Why? Because pain is real, and we all want something to ease the pain. But the fact is, pain is a part of life. To never have any pain in your life is to be inhuman. But if you're a human being, you're going to have pain. Now, the world has convinced a lot of people that the problem of pain undermines the reality of God. But I want to tell you something this morning. Nobody understands pain like Jesus Christ. Nobody understands pain. like. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, it says of Jesus, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus understands pain. And so for many today, there exists this kind of myth about pain. And, that, and that's what I want us to talk about uh, today. In fact, uh, on your outline, if you wanted to say, what is the myth? Well, the myth goes something like this. Pain is pointless and serves no purpose. Pain is pointless and serve. That's a common kind of myth. Well, what, what good does pain serve? And as we examine that myth today, I want us to do so by looking at a familiar story that Jesus told us, which teaches a number of truths about pain and how we can make sense of all of it. Now, today I'm not going to, like we normally do, I'm not going to ask you to stand because the passage is pretty lengthy. But I want you to follow along with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. It's a parable that I bet you've heard before, the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to read to you beginning in verse 11 of chapter 15. So follow along with me, if you will. And he said, this is Jesus, Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now I'll come back to that in just a bit. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need, and so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field uh, to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still away, a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. for this story that reminds us how you can take pain and turn it for good, that you don't waste our pain. Lord, I pray for any that are listening by live stream, that are here in this audience, Father, that are watching on television. I pray, God, today that if they're going through pain, that you will help them not to believe the myth, Father, that you have uh, no control or that you can do nothing about the, the pain or you can't turn the pain. I pray, Father, today you will show them who you are in the midst of pain. And I pray, Father, that you'll minister your grace to us this morning as we gather in this place. Right now, would you tell him in your heart, would you say, Lord, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening to you. Speak to me through your word and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we all know this story as the parable of the prodigal son, as as I said before, and it's full of practical truth. This is a great parable because it has so much practical truth in it, and it has truth about a number of facets of our relationship to God. The Father, obviously, is a portrait of God in this passage. And uh, the prodigal son, is well, really, both of the sons, we're not even going to talk about the son that didn't go. There's a story there, too. But we're going to talk about the prodigal son, and he's a picture of us when we rebel or we turn away uh, from God. It's a story of rebellion, but it's also a story of reconciliation. It's full of truth about how we bring pain on ourselves and how God uh, can turn that pain to reach us and teach us about his love and his care for us. And from this story we can learn that pain isn't pointless. So let's begin first by looking at, number one, the definition of pain. What is the definition of pain? Now, pain and difficulty come in three forms. Let me give them to you. The definitions of pain. First of all, there's physical pain. You know, that's the external pain that affects our physical condition. I think everybody understands physical pain, right? There's physical pain that comes into our life. And by the way, uh, sometimes we're the reason physical pain comes. The, secondly, there is emotional pain. That's B on your outline. That's that's internal pain. And you know, emotional pain is a kind of pain that we often try to hide or cover, isn't it? We don't want people to know how we're feeling on the inside, if we're hurting. A lot of time we don't we try to cover that. It's an internal pain I and mean, we often try to, to either hide it or ignore it. Psychologist Scott Peck has said this. He says fearing pain almost always uh, to a greater or lesser degree, is a kind of pain we try to avoid. Uh, and it keeps us from avoiding the issues or the problems. He said, we procrastinate hoping that this emotional kind of pain will just go away. We ignore and pretend that these problems don't exist, and we attempt to get out of them rather than suffer through them. This tendency to avoid problems—listen to this statement he makes— this tendency to avoid problems and the emotional pain inherent with them— listen to this, he says, is the primary basis of human mental illness. So there's emotional pain, and, and, and I, I would suspect uh, just about everybody in here could say, yeah, I've had some emotional pain in my life. And then third, there is, see on your outline, spiritual pain. Uh, that's the kind of pain that occurs. Listen, how do, where does that come? That pain generally comes from disobeying God. Uh, That's the kind of pain that comes from uh, running from God. That's the kind of pain that that can sometimes be initiated by the devil to try to make us feel guilt for for our past, etc. It's a spiritual kind of pain that we may experience. But regardless of the kind of pain that comes, all pain is a signal that something is not right. Would you agree with that statement? Pain is a signal that something isn't right. And if that be the case, then God wants you to identify it so that you can deal with it and learn from it. Uh, A previous vehicle that I owned, it had something, and you've probably seen this. uh, When the gas gauge began to get empty, a little light would come on by the gauge. Have any of you ever had that or do you have that in your car and so that light comes on? Uh, and uh, it, it is a signal to you that the tank is close to, close to empty. Now, I, I remember when that light used to come on, I thought, I don't have time to get gas. I don't have time for that light to come on. I wish that light would just go off. And suppose I took my car to my mechanic, and I said, look, when I start getting low on gas, this this light keeps coming on, and it's irritating me. I want you to disconnect it so it can't come on anymore. And then I'll be able to... to to solve my problem if the light doesn't come on no problem right now you think you think the right way you would say that would be absurd I mean to ignore the the light or have you seen the commercial where a light comes on the dashboard and the woman takes a sticker and she says check engine have y'all seen that commercial check engine and so what does the woman do she takes a, a child sticker one of her kids stickers and she sticks it over the light and all is well right out-of-sight, out-of-mind uh, kind of thing, and, and it, but it's absurd to ignore the light or remove the light. It's a signal. Likewise, pain is a signal. It's a signal that, that something requires attention in your life. Unfortunately for most people, though, when pain comes, they think of it as the enemy, and it can be, but it isn't always. And and that's why we we shouldn't ignore the pain that comes in our life. It is a signal of problems, but it does not mean that God doesn't have, listen, a purpose behind your pain. So it's important to define the kind of pain that you and I might, might be dealing with or might deal with. And if you haven't dealt with pain of any of these, hang on, you will. But here's the second thing we have to understand, and that is not only the definitions of pain, we need to understand the development of pain. How does it happen? How does it develop in our life? And we see that in verses 12 through 14. I'll I'll point that out here in just a moment. But have you ever noticed that when something painful occurs in the world or in personal lives, the first thing that we, we, we tend to do is call God in on the carpet. If you notice our culture is like that, they don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't want to have any identification with God. But if something tragic happens, one of the first things we hear culture doing is, where is God? God, Why didn't God show up? Where was God when God was needed? That's the kind of thing that happens. Despite the fact that we don't want God involved in any area of our life, but if something goes wrong, suddenly the appeal is, now, where was God? But the truth is that much of our pain and difficulty is a result of three things, and we see those things clearly illustrated in our passage today. First, pain is often the result of the choices that we express. Look at verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. It's a choice that he makes. He goes to his father. He says, Father, I want my way, and I'm making a choice. I want you to give me what is mine. His pain began, listen, with bad choices. The prodigal made a foolish decision. He never thought through the implications of his choice. His choice, by the way, would cost him big time. And by the way, his choice would bring him emotional pain, physical pain, and spiritual pain. It cost him big time, but he never thought through the implications of the choice that he was making. You see, his pain was not, listen, it was not God-induced. It was self-inflicted and God-allowed. Did you get that? It wasn't God-induced. It was a result of his, his choice. He makes this choice. So it was self-inflicted, but God allowed him to live with the choice. All because of pride and arrogance, a foolish decision that was totally self-centered. Kurt Bruner, in his responsible living in an age of excesses, writes and says, it is difficult to be honest about the choices we make. Rather than say, I decide to, we say, well, God directed me to. And when things don't work out the way we had hoped they would, we turn around and point the finger of blame at at, well, as a lack of faith or or disobedience to God's uh, plan, we rarely stop to consider whether the decision itself was just unwise and didn't have the the favor of God upon it, and instead we didn't seek the direction of the Lord. Uh, as was appropriate but we make a choice that is ultimately our responsibility and listen do you know what God gives you the freedom there may be some of you who are here in this auditorium this morning there may be some of you watching us on live stream and you've never made the choice to trust Jesus Christ with your eternal soul and he will not force you but he will let you live with the consequences of your choice and that's a dangerous choice that's the way God says. He says, "I love you, but I will let you. I will allow you to make choices and decisions. And sometimes those choices will, in fact, bring pain and heartache into your life. Sometimes our choices are the instigator of our pain. And when our choices backfire, we often blame God. We we or, or blame someone else." Let me tell you a prayer that I've began praying years ago. I prayed it this week. I mean this. This is a prayer. Our staff has heard me say it before, and and, and I pray this. I prayed it this past week. Dear God, help me not to do something stupid. I think that's a strong prayer, God, because here's what I know. If God doesn't prevent me from doing something stupid, I'll do something stupid ten times before this day is out. Right? And I know that my choices can have consequences. And so God, help me. So, So pain is sometimes the result of the choices that we express. But secondly, pain is sometimes, it develops in our life because of the carelessness we exhibit. The choices we express, but the carelessness we exhibit. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. Look at this. Underline this. And there he's quandered his property in reckless living. This was carelessness. The fact is, he did this to himself. It was self-inflicted pain. Dr. Paul Brand, one of the world's foremost experts on leprosy, and a strong believer, I might add, describes how leprosy... um, Causes patients to lose their fingers and toes. You've heard about a leper, and their they lose their sometimes their nose or uh, their fingers, their toes, all that. Why? He describes why. He's an expert in it, And, and and he says it may surprise you. He said it. It's not because the disease can cause decay. It can, but it's precisely because listen to this. They lack pain sensations, and so consequently, he says nothing warns them when water is too hot. Or a, a, a hammer handle uh, splits. Accidental self-abuse destroys their bodies. Do you, do you get that? He said, because they don't have pain sensations. I mean, so you can whack yourself or you can uh, put your hands in scalding water accidentally, but you don't feel any pain. And that's, he says, it is self-inflicted abuse that often causes them to lose their fingers, their toes, and that sort of thing. Much of the pain, listen, we bring into our lives is simply a result of carelessness, not, not because we thought through it. And you know, we live in a world today, don't we, that wants to blame everybody else but ourselves. Nobody wants to take responsibility. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You did this to me. Somebody, and and that's exactly what happened with the, the prodigal. He said, uh, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And God allowed him to. And he he lived with a careless approach, reckless living, it said. And consequently, he squandered everything that he had. And so sometimes sometimes. Pain develops in our life because of the choices we express and sometimes because of the carelessness we exhibit and how we live. And then third, pain is frequently the result of the circumstances we experience. That's number C on your outline. The circum- Now listen carefully to this because I want you to understand that he had nothing to do with this. So we can make bad choices, right? Are y'all with me? We can make bad choices and bad choices cause us what? To live with the consequences. We can We can live carelessly and recklessly as he did. And consequently, it can bring problems or pain into our life. Are are we on the same page? Y'all do like this, or I'm going to go on for uh, another hour and a half. Thank you, Chuck. Chuck bailed y'all out. But here, listen to this. I want you to get this thorough. Pain is frequently the result of the circumstances we experience. Look at verse 14. It says, A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Now, he was in need because he had been a nutcase in how he lived. But he had no control over the famine. Would you agree with that? These were the circumstances that were thrust upon him. He didn't cause the famine. He didn't cause the circumstances. He had no control over them. But he did, listen, like you and I, he did have to live with the circumstances, right? Sometimes your pain or your difficulties in life are merely the result, listen, of living in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, there are problems, there are pain, and there are natural consequences, right? In a broken world, the world is broken. So sometimes you don't have any control over the pain that comes into your life. It is the result of living in a a fallen world, Pain is a reality that resulted uh, from man's disobedience at the very beginning. And so from generation to generation, this world has been broken, and because of that, there's disease and sickness. Uh, There are problems because it was introduced way back there. And so sometimes you're just living with the natural consequences of a broken world. And as long as we live in a broken world, there will always be circumstantial pain does that make sense pain that comes to us in the course of circumstances now I don't have time to get into the fact that you can create bad circumstances too right you some of the choices you make create your circumstances right some of the the carelessness you you live by can create bad circumstances but sometimes they're just circumstances that are the result of of living in a broken world are are we clear you got that that's how that's how pain tends to develop uh, in our life now while a broken world produces pain listen to this here's the good news God doesn't waste it but what he does is he turns it and he uses it to move us or at least attempt to move us toward his purposes Elizabeth Elliott, I don't know if you know that name, Elizabeth Elliot and her husband Jim, went to Aka, India in Peru in South America. and in a short time they had been there, they were cannibals and they attacked them, and they killed most of the men with a spear. And Elizabeth Elliot, the husband of Jim Elliot, who died, years later she wrote this, and she was a tremendous Christian woman. and she said, "I'm not a theologian." Or a scholar, listen to this, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. That's what she said out of, uh, has come out of, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher said, I am certain that I never did grow in grace one half so Uh, much, I I never did grow in grace, one half so much anywhere as I have upon the bed of pain. And C.S. Lewis said, God, listen to this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but God shouts in our pains. Our pains are his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In other words, listen, pain is has a purpose. So let me give you some ways that God uses pain. This is under number three, the destiny of pain. The destiny of pain. Verses 17 through 19, as I'll point to in just a moment, how does God then use pain? There are four four purposes for pain in our life. Now, this is going to help you. This will help you understand, so why might God be, be uh, allowing pain in my life? Or if I have produced, I've developed it through some choice or some, uh, some carelessness. Now, why, what, what can God do with the pain? Number one, or number A, pain should deepen us. God uses pain to deepen us. Verse 17, you got your Bible open, look there. It says, when he came to himself, some translations, and I like the other translation, it says, when he came to his senses, when he quit living like a nutcase. I mean, he had this stunning moment where he suddenly realized, wait a minute, what have I done? But what did it take to get him there? Pain. It took pain. Now listen, if you've closed yourself off to God, God may have to exert pain in your life or allow some circumstance uh, to come your way or you may make some choice. In this guy's case, he had made some really dumb choices and then he also experienced natural consequences. Listen, God may have to insert something in your life to get your attention if you're running from him and he's been calling to you and convicting you. Now, you say, well, God doesn't bother me and I've been living away from God all the time. That probably means you've never been saved. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, the Bible says. And in fact, the passage says that if you are a child of God, he will discipline you, okay? So I'll come to that in a minute. But pain should deepen us. It took pain and emptiness and suffering to bring this prodigal back to his his senses. Listen to what Solomon wrote in Proverbs. He said, blows and wounds cleanse away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. Blows... Uh, 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 blows, um, uh, and wounds cleanse away evil. Beatings purge in most pain. Here, let me put it another way. This is the way my coaches used to say it to me when I play ball. No pain, no gain. Y'all know that, don't you? No pain, no gain. Uh, th- that, that, and we were taught, look, you got to stretch muscles, you got to expand muscles, and, and it hurts, and there's pain in doing it, but that's the only way to gain. That's what Solomon has said, blows and wounds, cleanse away evil and beatings, purge the inmost being. By the way, what motivated him? Hunger pains. He must have been a Baptist. Hunger pains. That's what and speaking of hunger pains, you ever have them? Somebody say, yeah, I'm having them right now. So, some of us have them perpetually. What do you do when you have hunger pains? You make a run for the border? The other day, my wife and said to me, she said, No, last night there were two pieces of pizza in the refrigerator. Now there's only one. Can you explain that? I said, Sure, I didn't see the other piece. <laughs> we were at uh, one of these buffet restaurants a few years ago, and uh, I kept going back to the salad bar. I went back five times. And finally, my wife said, uh, Aren't you getting a little embarrassed? I said, no, I'm not embarrassed at all. Every time I go back, I just tell them that I'm getting it for you. (laughs) Um, Three days later, when I could open my eyes again, I apologized to her. But seriously, nothing will force us to go deeper with God like pain will. Would you agree with that? In fact, I bet if we took a survey in here of those who are believers, that you would say, you know, I hate the tough times. I hate the difficulties. But I've found that I'm closer to God in the difficulties than at any other point in time. Because what does it do? It says, hey, you've got to have some help. And we turn to God. Pain forces us to change when we don't want to change. Uh, so today I ask you, are you in pain? It, you need to know that God wants to use it to take you deeper. I don't care how you got there. The question now is how are you going to respond to it? Hello? Hello? And God, I promise you, wants to use it to take you deeper. Eighty-seven percent, according to one survey of people, said a painful event, you know, death, illness, breakup, divorce, that's right, caused them to find more positive meaning in life. That's not even a Christian survey, but 87 percent of the people that they surveyed said, look, something difficult, something tragic, something painful caused me to grow. That's what they were saying. So God longs to have a deeper relationship with you. You know that. Unfortunately, it often takes brokenness to turn our attention back toward our Heavenly Father, and that's, that's the prodigal son, right? It took brokenness for him to turn his face and turn his life back toward the Father. Sometimes God uh, allows or uh, even brings um, a, a difficulty and uh, trial and um, and these things into our life because he's trying, he's trying to draw us back to him. Let me tell you some a second thing that pain God uses pain to do. Pain should direct us. It should direct us. Look at verse eighteen. I will get up and go. I will get. Look, he didn't just sit there and wall and say, "Man, I I made some dumb choices." You know, I'm hungry now. I, I want to eat what the pigs are eating. You, did y'all realize that that's what he said? He wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And he couldn't even eat that. They wouldn't even let him eat the pig food. And and so that that would rock you. After a while, he gets rocked, and so he says, you know what? Uh, He could have just said, I want things to change. I want it to change, change. But what he did, he did something smart. The pain caused him to get up and get out of there. Now, if you're in a place uh, that you've made that that is not the place God wants you. Get up and get out. Let the pain propel you forward. God took the pain and he used it to change the course of the prodigal's life. Psalm 119 and verse 71 says this. Listen, this is a Psalm of David. It is good for me that I was afflicted it was good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I may learn your statutes. You know what he's saying? The affliction was good. David was saying that pain was a tool that God used to teach him the ways of God. Sometimes God does that with pain. Hardly anything is more influential in our life than pain, and that's why, that's why if you think about it, pain, suffering, torture and persecution are used in prisoner camps aren't they prisoner war camps they use that why because it's influential and that's why the enemy of our soul the big enemy has used pain against the church to try to silence the church now i'm not suggesting that pain should be pleasant i mean that's kind of an oxymoron isn't oh i'm going through this pleasant pain you know, I, we don't have to say, oh, pain is, oh, this feels so good. Uh, I, I'm not suggesting it should be it, it, it should be salt either. You know what? I heard about a little boy, and he told his pastor, he says, I'm only six, and I have no trials, but I look forward to some. Look, you don't get any spiritual merit badges for seeking to suffer. Right? And so pain isn't something to be sought, there'll be plenty of it that you don't have to seek. And, and pain shouldn't be taken lightly. So please don't hear me say, ah, oh, it's just, you know, God wants to use it. When, when you're going through pain, pain is painful, if you will. But what we have to do is say, gosh, so this pain that I'm experiencing, what might God be doing with that? And what I'm saying is that God uses pain in our lives to direct us, get up and go. I need to make some some new decisions. I need to make some right decisions. I need to make some godly decisions to direct and influence the course of my life. The prodigal had to encounter pain in order to change the direction of his life. And then God was able to use the pain to redirect him to bring him back around. If you're here today or you're watching by live stream or television, I want to tell you something. If there's pain going on in your life, you may not have produced it, but it's there and it is a signal that something is not where the way it should be. Ask God, God, what are you wanting me to learn? Are you just trying to take me deeper and deeper? Do you remember the apostle Paul? He had a thing called a thorn in the flesh. How many of you have ever read that story? Thorn in the flesh. Three times Paul said to God, Paul and God talked a lot. And it says, three times I sought God, I asked God to remove the thorn, and God wouldn't do it. It was painful. We don't know for sure what it was. Some people think it was an eye ailment because of some other passages Paul wrote, but we don't know what it was. But God, he said, three times I sought the Lord, and God said no all three times. And then Paul said, ah, I get it. And he, answered, he finally tells us, I figured out what God was doing. And he, he says this about the thorn. I've learned that the thorn keeps me dependent on God. So therefore, I won't ask him to take it away anymore. I instead will know that in my weakness, he becomes strong to me. That's depth and direction, isn't it? And so so, uh, I'm not saying that you and I should, should look for pain, but we should identify the pain and say, okay, God, what's going on? What is my response? The prodigal had to encounter pain in order to change the direction of his life. And God is able to use his pain to redirect his life, and he's able to use your pain to redirect your life. Then third, number C, God uses pain to discipline us. Did you notice what he said in verse 18? He said, here's what I'll do. I'm going to rise. I'm going to go. That's direction. Get up and get moving. Get away from the bad choice or the bad sir, if you can. Uh, chart a new course for God. And then he said, and I will say. He rehearsed his conversation with his father before he ever got there. He said, I, what I need to say to the father? He said, I need to say to him, father, I have sinned. And notice he said, I've sinned against heaven. And he said, I've sinned against you. I have sinned. He, he understood this is about discipline. This is about repentance. And sometimes God has to cause our pain to supersede our pride. See, he's saying, I'm no longer worthy. Do you notice he says, I just hire me as one of your hired hands. He said, I, I'm, I'm done with my pride. I just need to eat. I, I'm done with my arrogance. So give me my money and let me go and I'll take care of myself and all these. I'm done with that. God uses pain to discipline us, to correct us, to get us moving again, but to get us uh, uh, repentant. And it took bankruptcy literally, in this prodigal's life, but it took bankruptcy in the prodigal's life to bring him back to his father. And sometimes you can feel bankrupt emotionally, and sometimes you can feel bankrupt physically and sometimes spiritually, but God wants to use that to show you that you cannot make it on your own, and that's why he wants you to turn to him. Think about Israel. Y'all know Israel wandering the, the wilderness for how, many, how long? Boy, it mumbles. I'll give you a hint. It starts with a four. Forty years they wandered in the wilderness. Israel wandered in the wilderness. Forty years. They wandered (laughs) on a journey that could have been completed in two weeks. Did y'all know that? They, they, They kept going around in circles. Now, do you know why they were going around in circles? They were under the discipline of God. They were under the discipline of God. And sometimes God says, I'm going to have to discipline you to get you to the right place. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. Now listen, I I referred to this earlier, but listen. Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 8, if you want to go back and look at it later on. The writer says, endure hardships, difficulties, pain. Endure hardship as as discipline. God is treating you as sons. So, by the way, when God brings hard uh, hard times or difficulties in your life that are uh, His allowance to discipline you, guess what it means? It means you're His child. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are, listen to this, illegitimate children and not true sons of God. Now, that's kind of a strange way to look at it, but if you are under the discipline of God through some heartache or, uh, or, or hard time or, or some kind of pain or difficulty, then guess what? Here's where you can rejoice. You can rejoice because it means you belong to Him. How many of you who are parents, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you who are parents would rather not have to discipline your children? That's not fun, right? The great thing about being a granddad is I don't have to discipline. My daughter says, Dad, you weren't like this when I was in the household. I said, that's right. But now they're your problem. I'm just going to mess them up. And I'm going to enjoy it. And then you get to do the discipline and bring them back in line. It's so fun. But every parent knows I... A parent that's sane, a parent that is sane, hates having to discipline their child. And by the way, I've done a lot of counseling through the years, and I've done counseling with parents who didn't discipline their children because they didn't want their child not to like them. That's another sermon uh, altogether about parenting. But they didn't want their kid not. They wanted to be their buddy. And listen, just quickly, if you're a parent, God didn't design you to be your child's buddy. He designed you to be their parent. And part of the what's going on in the culture out there, we have parents who are more interested in being liked and being friends to their kid than being parents and showing boundaries and what the boundaries are. I have my favorite, my fa- <laughs> my favorite gift my daughter gave me. It sits on the coffee table in my, my front office where I do counseling. And it's so funny because when people come in for counseling, they see it's a hammer. And when people see the hammer... They always ask, so what is that for, to hit some, uh, somebody you're counseling with if they say something stupid? I said, I hadn't thought of that, but I, it may happen. But the, on there, she had it engraved, this hammer she had it engraved. It's my favorite gift she's ever given me, a hammer, because you know what it says on there? It says, thanks, thank you, Daddy, for helping me build my life. Boundaries, okay, I, I don't need to preach. This isn't a parenting ser- uh, a sermon, but, but do you understand that discipline in your life by god means that you belong to him and listen again if there's no discipline, i mean discipline for uh for how you are 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 relating to god if that discipline is not there when you know it probably should be it should cause you to say do i belong to the king based on what the scripture says but no parent wants to discipline their child But sometimes you have to do it anyway. Why? And why do you do it? it? You do it because you are a mean parent. Right? No, you don't do it because you're a mean parent. You do it, listen, for their own good. You really do. How many of you heard that when you were growing up? Or some lines close to, this hurts me more than it hurts you. It just never seemed that way to me. But you know what? A parent who does their job understands that discipline is a part of that job, and they do it for the child's welfare. You do it out of love. Now, God's the same way. God doesn't like to bring pain in your life. But sometimes God allows it for discipline to train us, to correct us. And and to keep us moving in the right direction. It's not because, listen, because this is kind of what the myth teaches. It's not because God's angry. It's not because God is retaliating. Listen, do y'all realize if God wanted to retaliate, none of us would be here. I I mean, if God said, I can't take them anymore, I I don't love them anymore, and he would be justified right? But he doesn't. Why? Because he does love us. So he brings discipline in to to reorient us and move us back toward, toward him. It's not revenge. It's not retaliation. It's out of love. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And part of God's discipline involves protecting us from something worse. I know it's hard for us to comprehend that, but part of his discipline, he's protecting us. No discipline feels that way, but it is. it's true. when God does when God disciplines you, he's trying to protect you from something even worse. Some years ago, I read about Middle Eastern shepherds that will have a sheep in their flock or a lamb in their flock that that tends to go astray or wander off and everything. And do you, I read this about how they teach that, that lamb to stay in the fold and not wander off. Because if it wanders off, all kinds of dangers. Sheep are dumb. They just are. And they're so dependent on the shepherd for life. Isn't it interesting that the Bible refers to you and I as sheep? And we have a tendency to... To wander off, hello. We have a tendency to wander off. It's in our nature. We just tend to wander straight away. And so, I, shepherds in the Middle East—I don't know if they still do this today, but years ago at least they did. What they would do for a, a a lamb that had a tendency to wander off is the shepherd would break its leg on purpose. Come here, little. Come here, little lamb. <coughs> I love you. And then they'd split the, the leg, and the sheep, would, the lamb would have to kind of hobble. It couldn't wander off, and it'd have, to, it'd have to stay near the shepherd. And it would teach that sheep, look, this is discipline. And it's not discipline out of retaliation. I'm so tired of you wandering off. I'm going to get you. It was instead, You've got to learn to stay near me because if you wander off, you'll get eaten by a wolf or a lion. If you wander off, you'll go off a cliff. You know, I've told you before that sheep are so dumb that they'll put their head down eating and they'll graze right over a cliff. Baptists do that too at the buffet, but, but you understand? So it's an act of disciplined love. And sometimes I want to tell you something, God puts a splint on your life that keeps you from wandering too far from the flock. You with me? And you may resent it, and you may resist it. But friends, listen, it's God loving you. It is God guarding you because he doesn't want you to wander into something worse. Aristotle said, some things we only learn through pain. So when God allows pain in our lives, we we never need to doubt his love. His motive behind all the pain is to direct and discipline us for our own good. And here's the final thing, and I close with this. Pain should devote us. God uses pain to devote us. Notice he says in verse 19, I'm no longer worthy. The prodigal had a new perspective on who, uh, who he was and who his father was. And it's all because of pain. He demonstrates a new respect for his father. If you read on through, the whole, he, he has a completely new respect for his father, and he recognized who he was in this whole process, but it was pain, pain that brought him back around and devoted him uh, more so. He demonstrates this new respect for his father. Sometimes, God brings pain and difficulty because he's trying to produce a new kind of devotion to him. And he uses it to grow us. You know, often when I'm experiencing difficulty, I turn to the book of Psalms. Do you ever do that? The book of Psalms. And I find so much help there, I find so much strength in the Psalms. But have you ever wondered why there's so much help like that in the Psalms? I mean, Psalms are full of that kind of help, right? When you're discouraged, you Psalm 42. When you're depressed, I mean, uh, uh, so many uh, times. When, when your enemy is after you, I mean, just all kinds of Psalms in there. What prompted David, who wrote most of them, what prompted David to write all those incredible Psalms? What was it? Well, if you study, you realize that he wrote most of those Psalms during great periods of pain in his life. And that's why we can connect. And that's why we identify with them when we read them. With, uh, they seem like they're, they're he, he captured what's going on in my life. Well, that's because he was walking through periods of pain. Write this down. Pain is the high cost of growth. Pain is the high cost of growth. Handel, a great composer, composed a, a musical set we call the uh, uh, Hallelujah Chorus. You ever heard the Hallelujah Chorus? I'm not going to sing it for you because I, I don't want to show Bradley and them up. But the Hallelujah Chorus is a magnificent piece. And, you know, people all stand up when we sing the Hallelujah Chorus. We've done it here many times through the years. Handel composed it. But did you know this, that when Handel composed the Hallelujah Chorus, his health and his fortunes had reached the lowest possible ebb. His, his right side had become paralyzed and all his money was gone he was heavily in debt and was being threatened with imprisonment he was tempted to give up the fight the odds seemed so great stacked against him and that's when he composed his greatest work the messiah i wish i could say to you like some do out there that there are five easy steps to a wonderful life but there aren't. You see, there is no gain without pain. There was no cross without sacrifice. There was no church without suffering, and there are no disciples without pain. And often our problem is that we want the product without the process. Uh, you you say well what's the product? There's nothing wrong with the product. The product is uh, maturity, uh, uh, emotional stability, health, wholeness, confidence, meaning, significance, and and understanding fully of our purpose. Nothing. That's the product. There's nothing wrong with the product. The problem is we don't want the process. We want the product. Without the process, we don't want the pain that goes along with the, with the, uh, the, the uh, uh, product of maturity. And we don't want the struggles and the tough times. But listen to me, you can't short circuit God's process. In fact, the very thing that discourages you the most, God wants to use to direct and deepen and discipline and devote you. That's why Paul wrote Romans 8, 28. A lot of people know this verse. You know, the verse about God takes all things and turns them for good. Now, in that verse, it doesn't say all things are good. But it says God can cause all things to work together for good. To those, listen, it's specific, not to everybody. If you don't know God, that doesn't apply to you. You just kind of have to grit your teeth and get through it. Life's tough. But to those who know God, he says, God causes all things to work together for good. To those who are called according to his purpose, he uses it. He doesn't want to waste it. (laughs) I was standing up to leave a restaurant. I don't know, this is probably a year or so, a couple of years ago maybe. And I hit my head solidly on a lamp that was hanging down over the table. Why do they do that? Why do they put those there? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody else ever hit your head on the lamp over the table? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were other clutches in this congregation. And I did. I raised up, and, I, man, I banged it. Oh, gosh. It hurt, and I kind of staggered away from the table holding my head. And, and I heard these words as I was grimacing. They were intended for comfort, but they were words from an older gentleman sitting nearby who saw it, and he said this, and I quote, It'll feel better when it stops hurting. <laughs> wow, what a revelation. He meant it for good. It'll feel better when it stops hurting. Well, that's just true, isn't it? Someone asked Roger Staubach, who was a Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame quarterback, quarterback Dallas Cowboys for many years and through a number of Super Bowls, how do you keep on going as a professional football player when you're hurt? And here was his answer. He said, "Well, if you're not playing hurt, you're not playing football." Listen, it's exactly the same with the Christian faith. If you're not encountering pain or difficult, you're probably not in the game. So today, if I can send you out on a high note, it would be this: If you're, if there's some uh, emotional hurt or there's some, and I'm not saying just deny or just walk out and say, "Well, yeah, okay, it's all right." Pain is not all right. It's a signal. Remember. But if it's there and you're a follower of Christ, ask yourself, what is God trying to do? I'm in the game, obviously, because I'm facing some challenges or some difficulties. Pain's a fact of life, and it has power. It can either move you forward or it can destroy you. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your hurts. Pain has the power to make you either bitter or better for God. There may be some of you are watching, some of you in this audience today, and, and you're ready to give up. Don't give up because of hurt, pain, difficulty, trial. James said when he experienced all kinds of trials, he said, I, I counted all joy. That didn't, joy and happiness are not the same thing. We won't ha- we're happiness junkies. I'm going through this trial. Make me happy. Make, make a, joy is something inner. That comes from having a walk with God. It says, even in the difficulty, I can be filled with the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But it doesn't mean I'm, I'm full of happiness about what I'm going through. But my joy is not found in, in what I'm going through. My joy is not uh, found in my circumstances. My joy is found in, in God and God alone. So my question to you today is, where are you allowing and what are you allowing any pains, emotional, spiritual, physical, what are you allowing them to move you toward? Ask yourself again, is this, is this difficulty, is this pain, is it intended to deepen me? Is it intended to direct me? Is it intended to discipline me? Or is it God trying to devote me? Or is it all of the above? And my plea is that if you don't know Christ personally, that you give your heart to Him, the one and only healer, and the one and only who can make sense of pain. I close with a couple of illustrations for you. The pilgrims would not fully understand their lifetime at least in their lifetime, the, all the pain and suffering that they they went through as they helped establish the, the colonies in America. And we all know of Thanksgiving, 1621, the fall of 1621, actually a holy day where, where Thanksgiving was celebrated. We all know about Thanksgiving. We love to celebrate a Thanksgiving. But it came in the fall of a year that was very difficult for the pilgrims. In fact, just a few, uh, few months before they celebrated that first Thanksgiving, they had gone through the the toughest period or season of their entire uh, existence in in the new world. In fact, the winter had been so hard, think about this, that scores and scores of babies, children, youth, and adults had starved to death. Can you imagine that? And you know what brought the pilgrims to America? I mean, this is Independence Day. You know what brought the pilgrims to America? They were coming to escape the tyranny of the monarchy that they had left behind in England, who restricted their freedom to worship and to pursue faith and said, this is the way you have to worship God. And so they were leaving. And you know what they believed? They were on a mission for God to the new world. They believed God wanted them to... Uh, to begin a whole new nation that would be followers of, listen, Jehovah God, not the other gods that we're all told about. And so they came with this noble intention. They erected churches and, and the scriptures were so substantial in those early, in those early years. but in, in 1621 they'd had enough. Their kids think it, they watched their children, many of them starve to death. Can you imagine? And so they decided to go back to England, go back to the tyranny that they'd been living under. It was kind of like the prodigal. They basically said, I will just go back and, and live, except what was waiting them was worse than what they had. And so they boarded a ship. They actually boarded a ship. They packed up and they were on the ship in their little harbor and they were ready to leave and go back to England and resubmit to the king and his tyranny. And as they were getting ready to pull out of the harbor, they noticed a ship coming their way toward the harbor. A Frenchman by the name of Delaware was on that ship. I bet you can figure out where we got the name of the state. And this Frenchman brought medical supplies, clothing, and food, all that was so dearly needed. And the pilgrims decided, they got off the ship, they decided to stay. Aren't you glad they did? We're here today because they decided to stay then. And because of that, that that mission that they believed God had put them on existed. But... There was a lot of difficulty and hardship, wasn't there? Sometimes when you pursue the purpose of God, there will be some difficulty. Is it worth it? You better believe it. You may not know it right now, but generations will know it. I have this thing I've said. I've said this on many occasions through the years. What do I want my family? One day, you know, if Jesus tarries and doesn't return and we're here for another century, well, what do I want my grandkids and my great-grandkids What I want them to say, uh, I want them to say something like this, God sure has been good to our family. Why has God been so good to our family? I want them to be be able to say, well, we're not sure, but we think it may be because of our granddaddy or our great-granddaddy who who followed God in good times and in bad times. Maybe it's because of him. Maybe it's because he lived for God. He Not perfect, not perfect. Don't you want that of the generations behind you? Aren't we glad the pilgrims did? Because they did, we're here today and we're telling their story. And those who may have never got to see the fruit of what they did now know the rest of the story. The 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. What happened to most of them is horrendous. Uh, Several of them lost sons in the Revolutionary War. Uh, Several of them uh, lost all they had. And when they signed the declaration, they said, We pledge our sacred honor, our fortune, and our very lives for freedoms, knowing that there would be hardship. In fact, one of the founders made this statement. He said, Gentlemen, We better all hang together because if we don't, we will all hang separately. They knew that there could be consequences. Most of them died penniless. One ended up living in the forest and in caves the rest of his life, separated from his wife who passed away and his 13 daughters he never saw again. Thomas Nelson. He had a home in Yorktown. I've been in the house, Thomas Nelson's house, and at the Battle of Yorktown, General Cornwallis of the British Army had, had, taken Cornwallis, uh, had taken Thomas Nelson's home and made it the British headquarters. It's a really nice home. You know what Thomas Nelson told George Washington to do? He said, bomb it, destroy it. It's only a house. I'm glad the pilgrims didn't get on the boat and go back to England. Amen? And I'm glad those Signers of the Declaration did. Because we're here today because of decisions made by general, not perfect men. Didn't do it all right. Most of them were Christians. We showed a video this morning that was produced by our media staff. Most of them were Christians. You know, 29 of the 56 went to seminary to be a minister. They weren't perfect made some bad choices, bad decisions, but thank God they stood in the greatest difficulties because they did, we're here. Now listen, you say, so what is the point? The point is that you and I, if we're going to see fruit from our life, we're going to have to understand that sometimes difficulty and pain has a purpose instead of just writing it off. Ah, you know, we may have caused it, It may be natural consequences of living in a fallen world. Whatever the case is, the key is that we respond to it properly. Make sense? And if we do, God can do some incredible things in our life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking about. I want us to close our service with an invitation today. In just a moment, I'll be stepping down front. Our staff will be on the aisles. And if you make a decision in this room, we'd love for you to come and take one of us by the hand and say, this is the decision I'm making. Some of you who are watching by live stream, you're going to want to make a decision to follow Christ or to trust Christ, maybe to join this church. And you can do that, and we'll give you instructions about how to do that in in just a moment. But here's the key. If you're in this place watching by live stream television and you've never trusted Christ, truly trusted Christ, you can do that right where you are. Right now, you can call out to him. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What What do you call out? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. We all are sinners. I I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for loving me, even though I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I invite you now to come in. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior and my Master. I want you in my life. Head bowed, eyes closed. I want to tell you something. If you call out to him like that, he will hear that prayer. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I hope today that if you didn't know him, you now know him. I don't want you leaving this place without that relationship. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I've got some pain going on in my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed in this in this room, if you say I've got some pain, it may be emotional, it may be physical, it may be spiritual pain. With no one looking around, would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Yes, all, all over this room, their hand. I, I, I'm I'm facing some pain. I want to pray for you. Are there others? Okay, thank you. You can put them back down. Lots of hands. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. In just a moment, when I step down here, maybe maybe you prayed that prayer in this building. Would you slip out and come this way? Come and take me or one of these staff members and say, I, I trusted Christ as my Savior today. You may, in this uh, live service, you may come and say, I, I want to I join Ridgecrest. I, I need a church home and a church family. We're not a perfect, I'm not a perfect pastor, but we're healthy and we'd love to have you. If you know Christ, come on. You may be here and say, I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized. And that's an act of obedience. I want you to slip out. I want you to come on. Whatever the case, whatever the need may be, those of you who are watching by live stream and television, you're going to receive instructions on what to do, how to text a word to us about the decision that you're making to join us, maybe to be baptized, or you called out to Christ this morning. Whatever the case, you follow those instructions. We'll take it from there. Would you quietly stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one's looking about. I'm going to pray, and after that, I'm going to step down here, and then you come forward. You step out, balcony, ground floor. Father, thank you for this story, this parable, because it so represents us. Father, forgive us when we act like the young man who squanders and who makes dumb choices. Father, forgive us for that, but draw us near you. Help us. And I pray for those who lifted their hands this morning saying, I'm experiencing some pain right now, whatever it may be, God. I don't know what that is, uh, spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever it is. God, I pray that they would sense that you were there to aid them and that you would help them, Father, as they ask the questions, what is this for? What are you doing? Like Paul, it may be a thorn that that you keep there, but Father, help them to see it has purpose because it will keep them close to you. Whatever the case, you show them, Father, what you're doing. Is it discipline? Is it deepening them? Is it devoting them, God? Is it directing them? Whatever it may be. So you speak to their hearts about that, Lord. Would you show them, Father, as they've indicated, they want to know, they want to follow you. And Father, for any that need to make other decisions in this place, this is the time. Give them courage to step out. We pray, Lord, that you will move now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you step out? You come on. We're here to receive you. Come on right now.